Welcome, one and all, to the MCU's Bleeding Edge out there in streaming land. want to thank you all if you're joining in and watching. want to thank you all. Thank you very much. But anyways, let's get right into this beautiful, wonderful night of awesomeness tonight, guys. So anyway, so we are back. The MCU's Bleeding Edge, of course, me, Cybernetic Shark, and of course, Mr. Jeff Salvoda, a.k.a. True Knowledge, out there for you looking for anything else to uh, research or listen to. And we are joined by a returning uh, person on the panel, Mr. Vincent D, uh, Vincent Von Spock up right up above me here, who you can find on several platforms under Vincent uh, Von Spock. Thank you very much. And I uh, want to re-thank you for coming back on and uh, joining us tonight. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing pretty good, guys. Good to see you all. Thanks for having me back. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And then we have two new MCU fans joining us tonight. Um, we got Mr. Token here and Mr. J, who you can find on the amazing stereo app uh, where they go off and talk about awesome greatness, MCU content, all kinds of different things. Uh, how are you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. What's up, panel? Awesome. Thank you for coming on by, guys. Great to have you on the panel. And uh, we're just going to get right rock into this. So as you know, if you looked at our description tonight, we're going to be doing another Infinity Saga uh, review for you guys. Coming to the 2011 picture, of course, of the film Thor, uh, we'll be talking about tonight, which is, of course, you know, stars the amazing Chris Hemsworth, uh, directed by Kenneth Braun, uh, starring Natalie Portman. You got uh, the amazing, uh, you know, just this awesome panel of awesome actors that just really bring a really fun and inspiring film to us to bring us our first feature, really our first feature length film of four. I mean, there have been in previous past, like little like made for TV type of movies that Thor was introduced into, but this is like his first really big outing. Uh, so, you know, of course we have Tom Edison, Stellan Skazgard, we got Colm Fiori in this, we got Ray Stevenson, Idris Elba, Kat Dennings, Renee Russo, Anthony Hopkins, all this great cast, like I was saying before. And this is just a really run, fun, of the mill type of film. So, of course, this movie starts off, we all of a sudden see Jane and, uh, you know, Dory, uh, Do Dory, <laughs> uh, Doris, uh, Whatever. Why am I? Uh, Darcy. I don't know why I was having a hard time with that name, but uh, they are basically in a van all of a sudden they're, you know, talking and, you know, doing some geographical thing or whatever like that. And that's when all of a sudden they bump into Thor for the first time. And we kind of go into a backstory uh, from there to seeing Thor up in, you know, up in the Oldenheim. So what we're going to do for you guys is we're going to show you the trailer first and then really get really into the material. So, Jeff, if you have that trailer for us, why don't you uh, show that for us, folks? Thank you, sir. It's not easy to do what you did. You made my man look like a bunch of minimum wage mall cops. That's hurtful. Would you like to tell me where you received your training? Afghanistan? Chechnya? Who are you? 
have sacrificed much to achieve peace. For, through your arrogance and stupidity, you have opened these peaceful realms and innocent lives to the horror and devastation of war. You are a vain, greedy, cruel boy. And you are an old man and a fool! You're unworthy! Father. in his own hands now. I will end this. person he's pretty cut how'd you get inside that cloud also how could you eat an entire box of pop tarts and still be this hungry just drink i like it another this is going on facebook smile your ancestors called it magic and you call it science well i come from a place where they're one and the same but who are you really you'll see soon enough god i hope you're not crazy <laughs> You swear to guard the lives of the innocent and preserve the peace. I swear. I will destroy their kind. You can't kill an entire race and die with them. These people are innocent. I have no plans to die today.
All right. All right. So thank you for sharing those, Mr. Jeff. So first question off the bat, guys, and I'll go around to each of you. What was your guys' thoughts on the blonde-colored beard on Chris Hemsworth? I got to hear what everyone's thoughts were because this is one thing that has really stuck out to me after re-watching this movie uh, a couple times the last, uh, you know, several weeks or so, because I've actually watched this, like, I don't know, four or five times now within the last month, because I just love this movie. But anyways, what are your guys' thoughts on the blonde-colored beard on Chris Hemsworth's film compared to what it looks like in the other films? Let's start with you, Vincent. I think that Marvel has learned their lesson with this one. Don't ever dye somebody's beard again especially blonde or eyebrows for that matter i don't know if you noticed but they also did his eyebrows mm -hmm. later incarnations of thor they don't dye the beard they don't dye the eyebrows and he's barely blonde if at all so yeah i think marvel has uh, since gone you know maybe we shouldn't have done that <laughs> i would agree there how about you uh Token, what did you think about Chris Hemsworth's blonde-colored hair in this first film? Can they hear Jay. Can you hear us? Hello? Token, Jay. There we go. Guys. Guys, you. Oh. <laughs> Wait, you want me to jump in quick, Cyber, and I'll give you my take, and these guys can figure it yes, out. Yes, please. Yes, please. Yes, Jeff, give us your take on that. Well, I mean, in the spirit of Thor, being the, this being the Thor review tonight, I decided that I'm going to go ahead and dye my beard uh, blonde when we get done with the show. Um, so, you send me you pictures know. of that. I want to see that. Yes, <laughs> most definitely. Um, <laughs> I think I think I think Token and Jay actually froze up on us completely now. Like, uh, oh yeah, they're not moving at all. Yeah, they're not moving at all now. Hey, you know what? We'll just leave them hanging like that for the whole show. <laughs> it's like straight up frozen. Like, what's up? You know what I mean? It'll be awesome. You know. But uh, anyway, so I mean, I, look, I don't really, I don't pay attention to that stuff very much. It didn't really do. It did. I didn't think that much of it really. Uh, honestly as far as um how he looks uh you know initially in the film and during the film how he looks he i mean to me it, it, it like it it works like i mean i don't i don't look at it and, and and it looks terrible to me or anything like that um i mean is the whole premise basically that like uh it just wasn't fitting because his hair is brown well, yeah, I mean, it, you can tell that they d try to make him look more like Thor by dyeing his beard and his eyebrows, you know, blonde, putting yeah. on a blonde wig on him, you know, to, you know, change to make him look like Thor. And then I, you know, just like Vincent was saying, he most definitely, they realized, okay, well, we'll just keep it brown, keep him brunette, you know, give him like some blonde highlights instead, kind of. And go with his natural hair color for the character. But you could just tell it was a dye job. That's how, like, unnatural it looked. And that just, like, I feel that was off-putting. And I've had several people that have seen the film have mentioned that same exact thing. And I just think that's a funny thing to start off the right off the bat talking about that. And, uh, 
I just think it's it's funny. I agree 100%. Wow. This is completely hilarious because, like, uh, you, you got to see, like, I think they're trying to go for comic accuracy and everything, which, you know, that's great and everything, but you're not going to get it. You're not going to get that comic accuracy just by dyeing somebody's beard because the thing is, like, hair on the beard grows so fast that by the time you've got it dyed, it's already sticking out the roots. And then you're going to be filming, like, you know, the next day or two days later. And the, the roots are already going to be brown. And so it, it just looks like an awful dye job. And it's always going to look that way because you can't just dye it and then immediately film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100% agree there. Uh, so that kind of leads me into, you know, next what's up. So as I was saying before, so we have that kind of intro, you know, you know, uh, Darcy and Jane bumping into Thor out in the middle of the desert uh, and while they're doing their geological thing. And uh, then it kind of bumps back and kind of gives you a little bit of a premise of, like, the giant war that started, uh, you know, kind of between the ice giants and, you know, the Odenheim. And kind of what inspired there. And we get this giant battle scene, which was really amazing. And so my thoughts was, like, how do you feel about, like, your first introduction to the ice giants? I mean, did the ice giants, were they cool to you? Did you think that they looked cool or did you think that these are just evil, you know, creatures from the, you know, comic books? What were your thoughts on your first encounters with the Frost Giants? Let's start with you, Jeff. Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely felt like I, I definitely liked visually how they looked. I mean, I thought they looked cool. Um, I thought that essentially um, it was neat that. Uh, well, it was kind of interesting that they all spoke English. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they're frost <laughs> giants. Like, I mean, you think that they would speak a different language or something, but they all speak English, which is just like, you know, perfect, I guess, for the film. But, um, you know, uh, I basically, the, the, the gist I got from them basically was that, um, like, they're no, like, no joke. Like, you really don't want to, you don't want to, like, you know, frig with, the frost giants in real life. Like you don't want to step to them unless you're like planning on getting into something pretty heavy. You know what I mean? Like, um, and, um, clearly in that battle, in that fight, you see that they've got like all kinds of different creatures and everything going on, like that are a part of the frost giants. So, um, it's cool that they're frost giants and that like their swords are like made out of like, ice or whatever you know what i mean kind of like game of thrones um mm -hmm. the white with the white walkers right vincent yeah yeah absolutely isn't that almost exactly the same like uh as game of thrones pretty much I, in fact uh to jrr martin i think does game of thrones he might have come up with the white walkers because of the frost giants because they've been around for quite a while well, well, we definitely need to talk some Game of Thrones one day on the MCU's Bleeding Edge, but it won't be today. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, basically, Cyber, that was it for me. I mean, the the whole the whole fight scene is visually interesting. Um, I think the Frost Giants are cool. I think that uh, Lofty is cool. Um, I believe that that is um, uh, the what's what's the name the the actor um, is Calm. That, yeah, yeah, uh, Free Calm yeah, yeah Colin Fiore. Yeah. Yep. Um, that was loved, him. Yeah. Yeah, I loved him in um, uh, oh shit, what was the name of uh the movie with um, 
uh oh man with with vin diesel um what is that character he plays um you know what I'm pitch black uh, not pitch black the one after pitch black chronicles of riddick chronicles of riddick, chronicles of riddick. he was that guy colin colin fiori was badass in that movie yeah he was he was very much so very much so so to kind of catch Jay and Token up here, so the last question before you guys unfortunately had some technical difficulties, uh, yeah, we were so talking about Chris Hemsworth's uh, basically uh, beard and his eyebrows having been like almost bleached or colored for the film to play Thor. And so to just uh, before we go any further, we want to get your take on that. What did you guys think about that look of Chris Hemsworth being, you know, that colorized of, you know, trying to make him look more like Thor, you know, versus his actual natural brunette hair color. So starting with you, Token. Well, in all honesty, because, uh, like, when it comes to Thor, like, I think he molded the whole entire look when it came to Thor to me. Like, uh, from, like, the hair, which a lot of times, I mean, when I first saw it, I thought that was his hair, not even knowing that it was, you know... <laughs> Something that they put or they added to it. So I mean, I thought they pulled it off pretty, pretty well. Pretty well. Like nice. if I think of Thor nice. and see him, that's the story. Yes, kudos. They did good with it. Okay, okay. How about you, right. Jay? What did you think? Uh, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are in and out. We couldn't really. Hear yeah, him. yeah, we didn't really hear what he said. The look is really cool. Like they put it together. To be honest, I thought that was his very prepared. Yeah, I think a lot of people actually thought that was, that was his real hair. Um, but I remember uh, so there was a couple of making ofs right after it was going to be coming out into theaters. And Chris Hemsworth himself was saying, yeah, I had to wear this wig and all this stuff. And, and I, I just remember thinking, oh, yeah, because I at first thought that was his real hair, too. But it actually was a wig. So, I, I you know, as we were saying before, we were like... Uh, me and Vincent kind of agreed. It was kind of funny looking how it looked and everything. So we wanted to get your guys' take. So now moving back on to the Frost Giants. <clears throat> Vincent, what did you think about the Frost Giants and kind of their introduction? So I rewatched this movie today. And looking at the Frost Giants, I have yet to really feel the scale of them. They're supposed to be big, hulking type of beings. Excuse me. Um, and they really don't show you how big they are. They don't give you that establishing shot to see just how tall they are compared to Thor or um, Lady Sif and the Warriors 3. And so I don't really feel the menace behind them fighting and everything. Um, later on in Thor the Dark World, they have this rock monster that's the same as Korg. And uh, he's he looks quite significantly larger than Thor. And you actually get to see that. And I don't really feel I ever got to see that when it came to the Frost Giants. I would agree there because definitely in, in this Thor film, you kind of always saw them off in the distance. They were never close enough to really show their size. 
The only thing, the only I feel like the frost-like type creature, the one that breaks through the ice and they have to battle, is the only one that really kind of got in size shape with the characters and given them more of a, you know, kind of a comparison of how big that creature was. Yeah. So, I definitely agree with you there. So, going to Token and Jay, starting with you, Token, what did you think about the introduction to the uh, Frost Giants in the beginning of Thor? Now, y'all gonna laugh when I say this. Whenever I saw the Frost Giants, uh, like, how they said, I, would, I wanted to see actually more, uh, I wanted to see, like, what type of abilities that they had, you know? Versus mm -hmm. the fighting. To me, it reminded me of, uh, you know the buddies from uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yep, it's kind, of, it's kind of what it reminded me of, and so uh, I mean, it didn't really give too much. They seemed pretty weak whenever you know Thor went up against them, but then again, it's Thor. So I mean, yeah, that's yeah. For me. I mean, okay, how about you, Jay? He says same thing. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, just kind of reiterating, the Frost Giants, you know, like Vincent was saying, you really don't get to see their, you know, how big they are, how, um, you know, crazy, you know, what they can do and stuff like that. We get very brief what they can do because they really kind of, I feel they kind of rushed that scene, giving you that brief history of their battle with the Frost Giants. You don't get much action of them. And even in that battle, when they're fighting the other, you know, gods and so forth and stuff like that from the Odenheim, even then they really don't give, really show the different size. And then they kind of seemed almost equal when they were fighting. So I feel like, you know, the, the Frost Giants didn't get what they deserved, like really to show them who they are. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully, I'm hoping maybe down the road in another Thor film, maybe, you know, Thor Love and Thunder or even another Marvel film, maybe we'll get to see the Frost Giants again and maybe get a better view of them. Uh, but yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree, you know, with that because I thought they were, I thought they were really cool too as well. Yes, In Vincent. The party Thor episode of What If you really get to see the scale of them next to yeah. Thor and that it would have been nice to have seen it in. Uh, live action, but at least we did get to see it somewhat later on in a different series. Yeah, yes, most definitely, yes, that, that is very true, especially when Loki is his true self uh, of what he's supposed to be, and it shows that very much so. I That was a really good point. Thank you for pointing that out, Vincent. So moving on with the, so we have that kind of that back scene showing us what happened in like 985 AD, and then it kind of shoots off and shows Thor and Loki when they're younger and kind of, you know, what, ha you know, how Loki was brought to the Odenheim and we see them kind of grow up. And then all of a sudden, you know, Thor is supposed to be an adult. So is Loki and everything. And he, th he thinks he's going to be crowned the next King, uh, you know, by his father and so forth. And, you know, they kind of, you know, they kind of have like a ceremony that he's going to become, you know, King and everything. And then we have kind of like, Loki start starting to stir things up uh, to kind of, you know, mess with the pot because he's, you know, he really wants to be the ruler because he feels he, he deserves it because he's the older of the two and so forth. And so we kind of get that going. We kind of get a little introduction to, you know, Lady Sif and the other characters a little bit there in that scene. We get some great hall images and stuff like that on 
you know, the Oldenheim and stuff like that. And uh, then all of a sudden we have, you know, the, it kind of moves on. We have certain in- incidences happen throughout the scene. We have frost giants that, that come in and try to steal the Tesseract. And, uh, of course, then we get to see the giant, uh, basically, guardian, uh, I would say, of the area. I forget what the name of the of that the robot destroyer. is. The Destroyer. Thank you. We get to see the Destroyer for the first time. Now, for me, when I first saw the story, I was literally sitting in my seat going, oh, that's awesome. You know, like, like totally like that. Like, I was, like, just blown away by it. So my question for you guys is, what did you think about the first introduction to the Destroyer? Uh, starting uh, with you, uh, Jeff, please. Well, I think the Destroyer is really cool. I mean, um, you know, as far as... I don't want to say a bad guy or whatever, but as far as like, you know, a, a concept itself, the destroyer is pretty badass. Um, he's, you know, it, it's, it's obviously extremely powerful. Um, and I would love, I'll be honest with you. Um, what I really enjoyed is when they made the, um, the, uh, the, the sister comic books or whatever to go along with these MCU films. And, and when Marvel made them, um, that limited series, whatever that they made of the comic books that are basically like a more detailed version of, of the, of the films from the infinity saga. Okay. Um, they actually, in one of them that I have, it, it shows, uh, shield with the destroyer trying to like, take it apart, trying to test it, trying to figure out how it works and like what's going on with it and everything and whatnot. And they're like clueless. You know what I mean? Like they can't figure out what's going on with it, how to do anything with it, what its power source is. Um, you know, they can't dissect it. Uh, like, uh, you know, um, and uh, that's how they eventually end up figuring out how to create the uh, the weapon you see Coulson use on Loki. When Coulson get, gets killed and, he, you know, and Loki stabs him and then he shoots him with that with that weapon and he's like, I don't even know what this does or whatever. That mm-hmm. was off of the destroyer. That was the oh, okay. destroyer tech. They made that weapon off the destroyer tech. That's why it shot the same type of projectile or like the same like uh energy looking energy as like the destroyers, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, um it's kind of at first it's kind of hard to tell the scale of the size of the destroyer, but he's pretty big. Um, I mean, he's got to be at least like, I don't know, 10, 12 feet high, high, maybe like, yeah, like 40 feet. Yeah. High, if not higher. Um, you know, uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting character or concept. I would love to actually be able to have a better idea of like what its power levels are. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what is really capable it's of? It's over 9,000! Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, what are those, like, what are those YouTube videos, you know? Like, what's his power level? Like, let's stack him up against, uh, you know, like, uh, anime characters and Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that. But, uh, yep. yeah. Yep. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. So, going down to Token and Jay, let's start with Jay this time. What did you think about the introduction to Destroyer, sir? <laughs> oh, oh, we lost them. We lost them again. <laughs> That's okay. so, so, so if they come back, uh, let's go to you, Vincent. What did you think about the introduction to the destroyer, sir? 
I mean, he's pretty cool looking, kind of menacing. Got the the spikes. He's made out of metal. Kind of looks a little bit like Colossus. If Colossus was empty on the inside, which you never know, he might be anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, I mean, yeah, he he's kind of interesting. Um, what's what I think is cool about him is he's more memorable than I think most of the battle between Thor and Loki that takes place inside the Bifrost. Um, or at least like the station for it. I don't even know what you would call that where, the, where Heimdall stands, but um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, most definitely. I, I, I would agree. Uh, Cause that, that final sequence, uh, which we'll get to a little bit later, I can tell, I can see where you're coming from on that aspect and you know, why that would be, you know, you, you, it would be a more memorable scene, the destroyer sub fight sequence and so forth and, yeah. uh, and stuff like that. So yeah, most definitely. So, so basically we have kind of like that conversation with the frost giants with the destroyer and the destroyer destroys them. And that kind of, uh, you know, basically starts, you know, makes Thor go, I want to get revenge on them for this happening. And, in the background, you know, kind of Loki, you can see Loki kind of, like, stewing about something. You're you're not too sure, like, exactly, you know, is he a part of it? What's going on? You know, this kind of stuff. And, you know, that, you know, Thor gets infuriated with Odin that he's not doing anything about it. And so that's when him and Lady Sif and the others decide to go and attack the Frost Giants themselves. So that's when we get this wonderful, amazing action sequence, which I think is one of my favorite, uh, you know, of the film, uh, when they have to battle that giant beast, which I don't recall them giving that a name. Do you do you remember a name for it, Vincent? No, I don't. No. OK. Uh, well, we get that awesome ice creature that, you know, they end up having to battle. So my next question would be. What did you think about that creature and their fight sequence with the people? Like, do you think, do you feel like that was a pretty good CGI fight sequences, you know, for what they had to deal with and what they were fighting? I mean, I thought it was pretty well done with their CGI magic because, I mean, it looked pretty realistic. And I thought that they did a good job of bringing that to life. So what are your guys' thoughts, starting with you, Vincent? Yeah, I definitely think the CGI is really great for the time period, especially. I was looking it over today, and like being a trained eye in movies and whatnot, like I am, I can see some flaws and things, some things that could have been done a little bit better. But those are things that have gotten a lot better since this movie, especially with just Marvel movies in general. Um, so, like the fight scenes where the people are having to be recreated as wireframes and then adding, you know, textures and shadings and different things like that, it gets better over time. But even so, you know, this was 10 years ago now, 2011, and the technology while getting better was not great. So, yeah, it's a little bit rough around the edges, but for the untrained eyes, probably not too difficult to follow, you know? Yeah, most definitely, most definitely. How about you, Jeff? What did you think about that fight sequence? Which fight sequence were we talking about again, Cyber? The fight sequence when Thor and his troop go to talk to the ice giants and they end up battling that giant beast. Yeah, you know, like I was saying before, I mean, I don't know what that was exactly, but um, it's interesting. It, it makes you wonder, like, what all is going on with the frost giants as far as, you know, 
we don't get a lot of backstory or like a lot of history as far as like what their culture is like if do they have cities like what do they live in do they live in caves you know what i mean like um you know they appear to just have like random creatures hanging out like you know underground and like you know whatever um it's very interesting um like just honestly just the whole concept of the frost giants and basically um the the the, the battle and everything is very typical for the film like it, the, the i mean honestly from what i can remember correctly what what the what the uh what the critics had a problem with with this film was the plot um and uh you know nobody nobody complained about the characters or four or chris hesworth performance or anything like that um it was you know uh literally um you know the plot and so that whole battle was pretty much like um you know you knew Thor was gonna like freak out when that frost giant was like, go back to your mommy or whatever, you know, kid or whatever. Um, and basically I kind of felt like if anything, they could have made it to where that, like that, uh, that monster or whatever. And the frost giants maybe, maybe like kicked their asses, the Asgardians asses a little bit more. I would have liked that better. Like if they would have really like put a hurt on them. And like Odin had to literally come in there and like save their lives. It didn't quite get to that level, you know. But um, I love the Warriors Three. Like they're cool. They're a cool part of Thor. Well, they Most were of- until they died. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is true. Until they were all killed in Thor Ragnarok. Exactly. Uh, From a filmmaking standpoint, I think that percent, giant yeah. Monster- was put there to show just how much more powerful Thor is than Lady Sif and the Warriors 3 um, because he just flies right through the thing's throat and kills it in one shot whereas they're being backed up into a you know cliff that they're about to fall over so I think it's just to show you he's like four times as powerful as them if not more yeah I think that's a good point but yeah Sif is still alive like uh, like yeah, apparently I haven't got I haven't I have not heard like a, a credible rumor, like obviously from Marvel Studios or Kevin Feige saying, hey, Sif will be in like Love and Thunder. But she is. Yes, if I had to guess, she will be in she will be back in Love and no, Thunder. No, it was confirmed she was. Oh, really? Yeah, it was 100 percent confirmed she was. Okay. Because great. the Loki, the Loki scene where she's in and it's like repeating itself was kind of a prelude to what we're gonna see in Love and Thunder. Okay, I mean, because that 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 scene from uh, from the the Loki series was a flashback from Loki's. Memory. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. that wasn't like real time. You know no, I mean? no, no, it wasn't. It um, just was. It was kind of. It was supposed to be like a reference to seeing yeah. that she was going to be coming back. Is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, that's no, what true. that's what they were saying. I really like her. Like, I like uh, what what is her name? Is it Jamie Alexander? Yeah. Yeah. I like her. Um, I really got into the. I really got into the blind spot there for a while. Yeah, and, and that's the reason. One of the reasons uh, she didn't wasn't in um, Ragnarok is because she was doing that show. Is, is and that, that show still still on? No. 
Okay. It ended. It ended like after the third or fourth season. I can't remember how many yeah. seasons it went. My take on that show was kind of like after I watched the first season, I was like, they're not going to be able to make too many seasons of this because the whole concept of it, the premise of the show, was very like short lived. Like there was yeah. no way they were going to be able to extend that into some kind of ten year run. True. Very true. She's very talented, and she looks a lot damn different as Lady Sif than she does on the Blind Spot. Oh yeah, she did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Way different. So kind of kind of going into another character that we get kind of introduced into this in this film that we get to end up seeing in a few of the Thor films so far uh, is the, you know, Idris Elba's character, Heimendel. And, you know, Heimendel, I think, is just a really fun character. I like the evolution of the character throughout the films. And uh, even his, you know, you know, basically up until his demise, unfortunately, in Infinity War. Uh, you know, we had some really great stories, especially in Ragnarok. We got some really good story and so forth. Uh, and it just was really uh, well, I thought, just really well created. So my question for you is when we got first introduced to Heimendel, what was your thoughts on him? Because if you were an avid, you know, comic reader, you probably, you know, were familiar with him from the comics. What were your thoughts on Idris's take on him? And were you happy to see him in the movie? Uh, starting with you, Vincent. So I wasn't actually too uh, familiar with most of Thor. I'd never really read a whole lot of Thor going up into this. Um, in fact, I think most of what I did read was in a series called Siege, in which um, Asgard actually gets brought down into America in Oklahoma, I believe, just outside of Oklahoma City somewhere. And... Um, it's an interesting story that takes place around that whole aspect of it. And Thor at one point even like basically shows Iron Man, I am infinitely stronger than you. And if you don't knock the crap off, I'm going to knock you the heck out. Um, when they get into kind of a heated debate over whether or not they're allowed to have the land. But I digress. Um, and so I hadn't really seen a whole lot of Volkstag, Hogan, um, Heimdall, Lady Sif, none of them. I, I had no idea who any of them were going into this movie. Uh, my Most of my knowledge up to this point had been Spider-Man and the X-Men. Um, but going further than this, I did get to learn a little bit more about Asgard and um, the Guardians of the Galaxy and just some of the other more obscure Marvel characters and whatnot. And um, I think that Idris Elba does a hell of a job. He's a phenomenal actor. I have not seen him in anything that I don't like him in. So, I mean, that, that really speaks to him and how good of an actor he is. And so I think he does a really great job as Heimdall. And I wish that they had done more with him in the first two movies, but at least he got um, some pretty awesome screen time in Thor Ragnarok. And then they gave his character a really nice ending in the beginning of Infinity War. And I think that he his story wrapped up very nicely, and I think he was great in his role. I would completely agree. Yeah, I thought that Idris is an amazing actor too. Myself, I I also haven't seen him in anything I didn't like him in. Uh, I think one of his best performances actually is in a No Good Deed uh, with Taraji P Henson, and he plays the main bad guy. He's really amazing in that film. If you haven't seen it, uh, he is just it, it just show. I feel that film really shows his acting abilities. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's really good. Uh, how about you, Jeff? What did you think about Heimadel? 
Well, I mean, coming off of what Vincent already basically laid out, um, I think that taking the consideration that this was the this was phase one of the MCU, I think that um, the fact that they got you know Idris Elba involved in the MCU at all, I think is great. Like I, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna complain or critique or like break it down and be like, oh, they could have done this with them and that with them and this and that and whatever. Because I mean, I'll be honest with you. Um, if I remember correctly from where things were at, from a, a, a standpoint of like the movie industry at that point in 2009, 2010, uh, Idris Elba was not a hot commodity really at that point. He was like known people knew who he was, but he was not, he hadn't done anything, um, really like standout or anything like that. You know what I mean? So, um, honestly, uh, there's. There's there's a movie that he made with Matthew McConaughey, like um, where he played like this this hero or something going against Matthew McConaughey as like the the villain that I never watched. Two Towers. Yes, I saw the trailer for it in theaters and I thought it looked awesome, but then I never saw it. And I I really hope I remember to go back and watch that movie someday because it looked the whole premise of it looked great. But him as Heimdall is perfect. I mean, but then again, it's Idris Elba. He's great. And everything he does so like what are you going to expect i mean um and just his presence on screen as heimdall is like halting almost like um every time he even says something it almost kind of like freezes time for a minute in the scene and he almost like out acts the rest of the actors that are on the screen like just with his like one sentence you know like he'll say one thing like five words and it'll be like more impactful than anything that Tom Hiddleston says in like a paragraph, you know? So, I mean, <laughs> um, you know, like, Hey, I freaking love the suicide squad movie. I think it's like the best DC movie that's come out in who knows how long. I think it's better than anything I've seen DC make and who knows how long. Um, isn't it funny how it took them bringing in a Marvel studios director in James Gunn to come in and whip the DC film and, uh, 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 sector into shape and be able to pull off a decent dc film um but you know I, I digress but at the same time we never have ever even talked about the suicide squad on this on this show so you know don't mind me for um you know giving some praise here because it was a really great movie i really enjoyed it and uh really funny and uh idris alba could play anything and he'd be great but as heimdall in that movie he's good he's very impactful very powerful in his small role um, they don't really give him any way or, or chance to really demonstrate how powerful he is um, in this film. You know what I mean? And even in Ragnarok, I felt like, well, you know, I think it's fair to time skip a little bit when you're talking about these MCU films and you're comparing different Thor films and stuff like that and talking about these characters. And I feel like now in Ragnarok, I do understand that, um, you know, Oh, there's Jassum. Jassum. Just seeing that. <laughs> yes, I'm just seeing that. Jassum, if you're there, brother, we love you, man. It's good to see you, dude. What's up, Jassum? Jassum. What's up? Vincent, Jassum is 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 uh, our brother from another mother from Rizzle, our uh, our home platform. So, um, what up, Jassum? That's my boy. That's my boy, baby. But uh, anyways, um, so as far as Heimdall goes in Ragnarok, 
I guess like he's really like um his power levels are really kind of subdued because he doesn't he's not in the same place that he normally would be in as far as like you know running the bifrost and everything and whatnot and everything. He's kind of just more human like. Um, but when he's Heimdall, like the you know, the in charge of the bifrost and everything, he's extremely powerful. Um, like he's no joke. He can like, you know, he can throw down. Um, and honestly, I thought it was really, really cool and neat that in that one instance, he was going to let Thor and the rest of the, the people go, the rest of the Asgardians go um, to um, uh, the Frost Giants, you know, uh, home territory there. Um, and was willing to like have, you know, have a blind eye about that whole thing. Just because he, he, you know, nobody had ever gotten past him before and snuck into Asgard before those frost giants did. You know what I mean? So it kind of just showed that, like, as like hardcore as he is, he does have like a mischievous kind of side in a way. Yep, very much so, very much so. So kind of moving on with the film. So we have that action sequence, and all of a sudden, uh, right towards the end of it. Odin intercedes with the Frost Giants and brings back Thor and Loki and all the people and all the gang and so forth. And so then, you know, Odin and Thor have it out, basically. And, you know, Thor basically calls him an old fool and saying that I should, you know, I'm the rightful king right now. You're getting old. You're not doing us any justice anymore, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And basically that's when Odin banishes him from Asgard. And we see him kind of get thrown into the Bifrost and brought down to Earth. And that's kind of, they kind of bring it back, intersect now to the very beginning of the film when Jane and Darcy run into him out in the middle of the desert. So when that happens, you know, they take him to the hospital and, you know, funniness ensues, basically, I feel. I think that whole sequence is very funny. This is what's going on. He calls himself Thor, this and that. And then... Then it basically pans off to Majorna, which Majorna was sent separately from him because now him not being worthy, he's not worthy of using Majorna. And so Majorna is... Mjolnir. 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 However you want to call it. Meow, meow. Meow, meow. There you go. Yeah, meow, meow. Whatever you want, Cyber. It's all good. His... His 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 sword, if you want to call it, whatever you want to call it, his handle, his axe, you know, his hammer, you know, thank you. And uh, all of a sudden, it's stuck in the middle of, you know, out in Arizona. So then we all of a sudden see all these people trying to pull it. We get a great Stanley Stan cameo of him in the truck driving, stuff like that. Uh, we get some more kind of like little iterations along with Jane and Darcy and Stellan Skarsgård's character uh, while this is all going on, too, as well. And basically, that's when S.H.I.E.L.D. pops up. So, you know, we, we've already seen S.H.I.E.L.D. in previous, you know, Marvel films, but when Coulson pops up, I was literally like, holy crap, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D.'s there, Coulson's there, I can't wait to see more of Coulson. And so my next question for you guys is, were you looking for more than what you got at that very beginning scene, kind of it being that same little uh, snippet that they gave you at the end of Iron Man 2, uh, and, you know, what were your thoughts on Coulson? Did you enjoy Bill Coulson? Did you think that he was a good choice for the character? And do you think they should have done more with him in that very beginning scene? Uh, starting with you, Jeff. 
No, no, because I think that um, I think that the strength of uh, Colson and the strength of um, I can't remember that, that for the life of me, I wish I could remember, but I cannot remember his his actual name, the actor who plays him. Um, but I think his strength is actually less of him, not more of him. You know what I mean? Like, you know, kind of like Captain Marvel, you know, at the end of the day. Like I always Clark say, you know, Greg is his name, by the way. Yeah. Dark Greg. Yep. Yeah. And I feel like, no, don't get me wrong. He's great in agents of shield and everything like that and whatnot. But I feel like that whole mystique of shield being covert and like very precise and concise with what they do. And like very, very official and in, and in control of every situation they get involved in. Um, I feel like <laughs> just the short doses of fury of colson uh doing their thing it kind of lends to the whole uh you know idea that wherever shield shows up they just take control of everything like they like they have this overarching power legally you know and federally to where they can just basically do whatever they want to do um and i feel like they were still building a mystique with shield leading up to the avengers where they didn't want to overdo it with any of the characters you know they, they only wanted us to see so much of hawkeye you know in this film they really they really didn't want us to see much of it just enough for us to know it was hawkeye um that's that's to jump ahead but um i think colson honestly um i mean look again when it comes to the casting of these movies in the mcu they're just ridiculously good I mean, like, seriously, I mean, look, I guess you could kind of like look at some of these characters and look at some of these roles and say, oh, well, you know what? I can think of like three or four or five other people who could have played that character or whatever and been just as good or better or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there's plenty of people who would try to say that. But at the end of the day, you can only work with what actually happens. Like reality is reality. And at the end of the day, um, all these characters, no matter what their level in the hierarchy of the MCU are or was, were really good at what they did. They served their purpose. And I think that that lends to not only the casting, but to the directing of the films. Because I think at the end of the day, it's the directors and the assistants of the, uh, of the directors that are basically in charge of making it clear to the actors what they're looking for from them on screen and in these projects and also are kind of there to back them up and support them morally or emotionally if they're having a bad day or lift their spirits up or pump them up or whatever about something or whatever or or even in some instances kind of just explain to them clearly in a certain situation or spot in, in a film what they really need from them as an actor or as an actress with that character and i feel like uh you know at the end of the day, um, I feel like it's just that the symmetry of all the working pieces with Marvel Studios productions, it just seems to, everything seems to be perfect and work out great pretty much like all the time. Um, and uh, I love S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I miss S.H.I.E.L.D. in the MCU. I miss it. I, lo I loved it. Um, you know, and we'll get into this when we, when we, review, when we review the Avengers. S.H.I.E.L.D. is a major aspect of the Avengers film. You don't have an Avengers film without S.H.I.E.L.D. Very true, very true. 
How about you, Vincent? Well, I just have one question for you guys. Why do you name a character Hot Guy if he's not going to be the most attractive man in the group? It's a pun. Guy? There we go. Yeah, Hot Guy. <laughs> it's a play on his name. Sorry. That was a bad joke. I don't know why. Oh, did you get off a Hot Guy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Hot Guy sounds know. like Hot Guy. So. Well, no, I actually had... a. Uh, a kid tell me one time that he thought it was weird that they named him Hot Guy, and I'm like, no, his name was Hawkeye. But yeah. <laughs> it was a really big deal for a lot of fans, like comic book fans, especially when Hawkeye popped up in this movie. Like it was big; oh, yeah. it was a big thing. It really was. I we haven't ever gotten to see his classic, iconic, you know, pointy eye uniform yet, but you know, maybe we will at some point. But I don't really think anybody's panning for it too much so probably i don't think so happen. vincent i think i think the reason they've never done that is because it just they don't think it's appealing yeah it just doesn't look good on camera it's not look doesn't look good in real life looks great on paper but not in uh not in this situation but anyway um I, yeah i totally agree with what you're saying about shield they were this big mystical weird mysterious entity and you're like what is going on with them are they like the men in black they just kind of come in and take what they want and study it research it are they even funded by the government are they a private agency what's going on with them and so they just kind of played it a little bit more into that mystique in this movie here and that went all the way through i think until the very first avengers movie you really get to see what they are and how big stuff is and how deep it goes and you get more and more as time goes on uh you get to see a lot of it in captain marvel um so yeah you, you really don't get to see a whole lot of shield or figure out what they are until the avengers movie and they captain were playing America, the winter soldier yeah that one too you get a lot of it in that very much so. Very much so. So as we continue on, so we, you know, basically, Shield shows up. They take over the site. Uh, we get our first glimpse of Hawkeye, as Jeff mentioned, uh, you know, or Hot Guy, as one person has said to Vincent. And, uh, you know, we kind of, we get a brief encounter with him. You get a little bit of understanding of him. You really don't get to know him until Avengers uh, which is going to be fun to talk about in that. But you get kind of a little bit of a feel of who Hawkeye a little bit is. You you know, you get your first take on the character and stuff like that, uh, you know, in a great scene between him and Coulson and so forth. And, you know, as we travel on, there a whole bunch of stuff, you know, basically, you know, you know, happens and inspires. And, uh, you know, and basically, you know, you get more interactions with, you know, the gang, Thor's gang and them, you know, contemplating, you know, what has happened to Thor and stuff like that. Uh, we get Loki talking to Odin, you know, you know, basically, you know, what the hell, you know, am I a frost giant, this and that. And basically Odin falls into the Odin sleep. Uh, and then, you know, we get some more Thor and Jane and kind of his interactions on Earth going on. He learns about kind of the customs a little bit. He eats Earth food and stuff like this. Him and... And Stellan Skazgar's character, which I always—I don't know why his name always escapes me. His character in the film, Doctor Something, Solveig. Yeah, Solveig. Thank you. And um, you know, they have a great kind of like camaraderie at the at the uh, the bar and stuff like that. We have him like fight the different nurses and stuff like that in a few scenes. And uh, basically, you know, we end up all of a sudden we get to the part. Uh, you know, he's trying to ha- have Jane help him get to his. You know, to Majorna, and uh, or his hammer, meow, meow. as we like to call it. Yeah, meow meow. 
And uh, so, you know, basically he, he's, you know, he's got to find a steed. So he decides to go to the pet store and try to find a horse, which, you know, of course they don't carry horses there. And he ends up eventually down in Arizona where the hammer is, meow, meow. And, uh, you know, he, he basically starts fighting off, you know, agent seals. They capture him and start talking to him. And Loki pops up and talks to him briefly. And, uh, it, you know, it kind of just continues continues to spiral out of control for Thor down on Earth. And, you know, he finds out, of course, that Odin is an Odin sleep, you know, this and that. And then, you know, basically that's when, you know, all hell pretty much breaks loose. And, uh, you know, Thor basically starts to figure out that, you know, he is, you know, what he needs to do, basically. And, you know, his gang shows up to help him out. And that's when the Destroyer pops up. And so we have this giant, you know, takeout battle in this little town in Arizona uh, with a destroyer. So my next question is, what did you think about that action sequence there where, you know, when all the, the people from Asgard come down and are fighting the destroyer in this little city? So starting with you, Vincent, what did you think about that whole fight sequence there? I think it's really cool that Lady Sif is really the only one that does any damage to the monster before Thor gets his powers back. Um However, it does feel like Kenneth Branagh didn't know how exactly to use these characters, what their kind of strengths and weaknesses were, what they could have brought to the table. And they just kind of get tossed around a little bit for a little bit of a time. So it just makes them seem really weak. And I don't really know that the characters ever really do bring a lot to the table in all three movies that they're in, which kind of sucks. But yeah. I would have liked to have seen more with them, particularly. I think it would have been a better fight scene that way. And like I said earlier, this fight scene is more memorable than what happens between Thor and Loki, but the Thor and Loki fight is better choreographed. It seems like they actually kind of know what they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I, but I think it's just the, the destroyer monster, you know, zapping things with a giant face laser is a little bit more memorable than a a spear fighting a hammer, you know? Yeah, most definitely. I, I would agree with that uh, 100%. Uh, I really enjoyed this scene. I thought it was really well done uh, for what it was. Uh, to kind of reiterate about you saying about the, you know, Kenneth Brown not really knowing about the fight choreography and what to do with these characters. Uh, one thing to mention is that this movie actually was in development hell since 1991. One of the actual writers that was a part of this film actually originally started writing this story back in 1991, and it went through many studios before it got picked up by Paramount. And it actually had a different director attached to the film before Kenneth Braun came on, which was actually Matthew Vaughn, who did the Kingsman movies and Kick-Ass. Mm. And so I actually was thinking, when I found that out, I was like, holy crap, I think this would have been a lot better fighted film if they had had Matthew Vaughn come in, because he knows how to kick ass. Especially in Kick-Ass. So he, what he showed in Kick-Ass was just pure amazing. And with the Kingsmans, and then even with... Um, uh, he also directed uh, uh, one of the X-Men films, First Class. And that movie was that really was well choreographed. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Thor could have been a way different film if they had, if Matthew Vaughn had stayed on. Because he actually was supposed to direct it and it get released in 2010. So I think that's kind of interesting, you know, after Kenneth Braun came on, how different that fight sequence could have been. So I, I just wanted to throw that out there. 
Fiber, I'm about to start dropping the uh, captions for the, everything that you just talked about. Like in the next five or ten minutes, I'm gonna I'm gonna be dropping the text of the whole like story of like the potential opportunities of the Thor movie coming out over the years that never came out. Yep. Okay. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Uh, so just uh, with you doing that, Jeff, just a brief uh, talk about for yourself there. What did you think about that fight sequence? I think that, um, you know, I don't want to sidetrack the question, but I want to just take from it, like, what um, what really, you know, stands out to me um, with this film, and that's the fact that they even got Stellan Skarsgård into this film um, and into the MCU, because as opposed to um, Idris Elba, right, Stellan Skarsgård had already made his bones by then. Like, he didn't have to be a part of the MCU. He didn't need this. He didn't need a role in the MCU or anything like that. I mean, the guy is like a classically trained, you know, legit professional actor that can handle his business. And any movie is is like lucky to have him, basically. I mean, he's about to be in Dune um, as um, uh, Lord uh, Baron Harkonnen. And from the trailers, he looks disgusting, basically, like just like literally savage um, in the role. But um I mean, uh, like, it's it just, again, I think that it's one thing if it's 2015, 2018, 2020, and you see actors and actresses wanting to work for Marvel Studios and wanting to be a part of this whole thing, seeing what's possible with it and the kind of success they can have, the money that can be made. But you go back to 2008, 2009, when they casted, when they actually did cast this film, um, you know, going to 2010... There was no, I, there was no way of knowing what was going to happen with the MCU. There was no way of knowing what the the overall success was going to be like. Um, certainly, nobody at that point believed that, like overall, like three out of the top five high, highest grossing box office films ever would end up being Avenger films out of the, you know out of the MCU. Nobody would have known thought that back then. Um, and I think that with Stellan Skarsgård. I don't know what the hell it was with him that he was attracted to actually decide to like be a part of this. Maybe it was the fact that Anthony Hopkins had already signed on and, you know, um, and, um, you know, I don't know, but maybe he wanted to do something less dramatic or less intense, but, or maybe he literally just like was so smart. He saw what was coming and was like, you know what? I want to be a part of this. And um, he's great in his limited role in Thor and in the Avengers and everything, he's great. But talk about like a great actor. I mean, can you imagine like what it's like behind the scenes on these films when you're like Chris Hemsworth and you're acting with Stellan Skarsgård? Talk about intimidation. You know what I mean? Like seriously. I mean, um, you know, uh, Stellan Skarsgård has like Stan Lee type clout. So, I mean, you know, well, I don't know about that. Nobody has, Stan Lee just has clout that nobody can talk about. <laughs> Very true. But no, uh, to actually answer your question, I thought that, um, I thought that everything kind of played out with that fight scene, with that battle scene and everything, kind of like the way it looked like it was going to, there was nothing surprising about it. Um of course, like the 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 Warriors three and like human Thor are not going to be able to take on the Destroyer. 
Like, how's that going to work? Um, and I feel like basically with the secondary characters, I felt like Jane Foster and Darcy are fun and like they're an interesting element to the movie and everything and whatnot. But the love relationship dynamic, like the relationship between Jane Foster and Thor is kind of whatever. Like it's, it's, you know, there's nothing all that really all that exciting about it. It's not like friggin' Tony and Pepper types type stuff, you know? Um, it was kind of forced, I guess, is my point. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I love the destroyer and, um, you know, I don't know if you want me to go as far as this, but I thought that when Thor decided to like basically like sacrifice his life for Earth and for the humans and for the human beings, like and for and for Jane, that was really powerful. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, that pretty much brings me into what I was going to talk about next. You know, basically, then you know we move on after that fight sequence, Thor. You know, basically gives his life for Earth and for Jane and everyone, and you know that basically restores his powers and gives him back the hammer, or aka Mimi, and uh, and so you know we get Thor comes back. He's he's Thor again. He's got his powers and everything, and that's when you know it kind of goes from there, and uh, you know. Basically, you know, then that's when uh, he goes back up to Asgard and he starts taking on Loki. And that kind of brings us to that battle sequence that happens on the Bifrost. And we get this interesting battle between Loki and everything. And, uh, you know, when when we first saw the Bifrost, uh, you know, I was in awe of the Bifrost. I thought the Bifrost was so cool looking. And so when they had to destroy it to, you know, stop Loki... I was kind of, like, pissed about that because I'm like, this thing is so awesome looking and you destroy it. In the first movie, I'm like, oh, my God. And, you know, you know, talking about that, you know, every, you know, Vincent has mentioned a few times that that scene isn't very memorable as a lot of the other fight sequences in the film. And I completely agree with that. I thought that it, w- it was very underwhelming because it kind of is like they hit each other a few times, kind of do a few things, Thor breaks it, and, you know, supposedly Loki falls to his death, you know? And it was kind of very, it was very short and very sweet to the point, basically, on that, in that fight sequences. So my thoughts were, what were your thoughts fully on that scene? So starting with you, Vincent. So there's aspects to this movie that I absolutely love, um, coming from a Shakespearean background as myself. Um, Kenneth Branagh being a huge Shakespearean icon, doing Henry V and Henry IV and a couple others. Um, Shakespearean movies and whatnot in there, seeing that drama and a little bit of the comedy of Shakespeare being put up on screen in these movies. You have um, like Henry four and five, like I mentioned, you also have a little bit of Romeo and Juliet with the two factions fighting each other, the frost giants and the Asgardians. Um, One of them like coming into the other side, you have the, the father son dynamics. You have the brothers dynamic. These are all big Shakespearean um, sort of plot lines and plot devices like Hamlet and whatnot. Um, so you're seeing all of that background and all of this, and and there's aspects to it. The sacrifice of it, for example, is a huge part of Shakespeare. It's that you gotta kill everybody in the cast in drama. Um, and Vincent, so you know, Thor sacrifices himself twice in this. Hamlet, Vincent, Hamlet, yeah. Hamlet. He was dope as hell in Hamlet. 
Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Thor, Thor sort of sacrifices something twice in this. He sacrifices his body in order to protect Jane and the Warriors Three and Lady Sif from the Destroyer, which then gives him his powers back. And then he sacrifices the Bif the Bifrost, not knowing that there is any other way to ever see Jane Foster again. And so he sacrifices his love. And so there's that ultimate theme of sacrifice at the end, which is really powerful and beautiful to me. Um. Ultimately, as far as the entire movie goes, that's what I like the most about it is that sacrifice is the um, compassion that he shows for his friends and his um, hopefully future love interest. We haven't actually gotten to really see them be lovers, really, other than like a kiss. And fun fact, he did not even kiss Natalie Portman in that scene. He kissed his real life wife uh, in uh, for the Dark World. Just throwing that out there. Really? That is really, so really. Cool, man. If I had a chance to like to kiss some like some strange chick or whatever, like and I was married <laughs> to it, I'd be all over it. Well, Natalie Portman wasn't available for filming that day, and so uh, they lined up a bunch of girls that could be, you know, extra stand-in, and they go, Which one do you want to kiss? And he goes, Well, my real life wife is here. How about I just kiss her? <laughs> I'd be like very I'll much. Kiss, I'll kiss the one who shows up in my freaking trailer like an hour after we get done with this. <laughs> yeah. You would. You would, Jeffrey. You yeah, would, Jeffrey. I'm not joking. You naughty boy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, back to bunkers. <laughs> is that? I mean, yeah, that 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 fits it perfectly. Yeah, because it is a very great ending. It really is very powerful. And you know, I didn't mention much about the love triangle between you know Jane and Thor in this because, like you were all saying, there's really no existence to it except for that you know of that one kiss, really. And so to kind of talk a little bit about that, just briefly, just to kind of iterate about that, you know, you know that there's love between them. You know that Thor has feelings for her. You know that Jane has feelings for her. And that, that is very apparent throughout the film. But really that love triangle like they have between like, you know, you know, Jeff brought out, you know, Pepper and Iron Man or um, even like I think the relationship between, uh, you know, Doctor Strange and, you know, his the his girl that you know is like his love of his life that they kind of they reiterate in what if that those were really more romantic like versions of like romance to me versus what they had in thor because thor really was kind of basing itself more on thor who thor is they weren't trying to show that relationship in this film so I that's like i think that's kind of like what love and thunder is going to kind of go more for and bring that more to fruition I yes, yeah. I think it's authenticity, Cyber. I think that's what's lacking, really, kind of. Like, I think there's no chemistry there, kind of, potentially, maybe, between... There just isn't... There's nothing there, you know, between um, Chris Hemsworth and um, that, uh, Natalie Portman. For whatever reason, they just don't seem to connect or vibe at that level that, like, that Tony and Pepper do, you know? Or, like, you know, or, uh, or Star-Lord and Gamora. Even like their like even their like dynamic is like more believable and like fun and like seems real, you know. But I just wanted to point out, um, I'm not like a huge fan of uh, Jane, um, Natalie Portman or whatever, as far as like you know uh, how she looks or whatever. She's all right. Um, I would definitely have to have her and Darcy together uh, if we were ever going to hang out and chill or whatever, you know, privately. Um, I need to have Darcy to kick in with that too. 
because Darcy kind of gives off that vibe like she'd be down for whatever. I mean, she like she checked up with Howard the Duck on what if, like so. I mean, you know, she's freaky. <laughs> yep, yep, true, true there, Jeff. Very true. I mean, if she's down, uh, with, so, Howard, if she's down with Howard the Duck, then, then I should have no problem with her. Very true. So to wrap this up before we get into our next little segment to round out the show, just to kind of wrap things up for the Thor film. So basically, like we were saying, you know, basically, you know, Thor destroys the Bifrost to stop Loki. Loki falls basically to step. We think Loki is dead. We find out later that he's not, uh, you know, in the next film, of course. A bit, but basically how the film rounds out, you know, it, you fi- Thor finds out that he can transport still down to Earth. He ends up, ha- they have like a little end scene where he act- ends up back down there and sees Jane. And, uh, you know, basically they have kind of like a little kiss and that's basically how the movie rounds out. Uh, so just to close out the, the movie, your final thoughts, friends. Uh, and uh, so w- we will have each of you kind of just give your final thoughts on the film. Talk about whatever you like, uh, starting with you, Jeff. Well, I wanted to point out that I think that um, it's really, really cool to see, to watch Thor now in 2021 and see Tom Hiddleston then younger looking, you know, fresh, you know, new to the MCU and everything and whatnot. It's just very enjoyable to see him at that precipice of his, you know, uh, participation in the MCU compared to the Loki that we've gotten in Infinity War. Um, you know, the Loki that we've gotten in the Loki series, like Tom Hiddleston has really taken that character to places that I don't know that, that most people would have even realized were capable or possible upon watching Thor, you know, I mean, um, if anything, let's be honest here. If you go and look on TikTok or like, you know, Rizzle, or if you go and look on, on the, in the fandom, you go on Reddit. There's there's actually at this point, there's probably just as many young women out there that are into Loki as are into Thor. Like it's, it's kind of yeah, I mean it's kind of 50-50, <laughs> like if not more, like for Loki, you know. I mean, um, and I feel like it really says a lot about Loki as a character in the MCU when um in every like possible situation throughout the Thor film where he could actually do something right and like actually do something positive and like show that there was some shred of decency about him, he still screws everybody over no matter what, like no matter what the frost giants sneak into Asgard because he let them in to start off with, you know, he's lying to everybody the whole time. And, you know, he actually like, I think that, they never really said it, but I think that like he purposely acted and reacted to like his actual birth and like his actual being of a frost giant when he like went off on Odin. I think he did that on purpose to cause him to like go into the Odin sleep. I do. Um, I think that it was evident that he was actually close to a time where he needed to do the Odin sleep anyway. They already knew that, that he was due. That's how the Odin sleep works. There's only so much time and whatever, you know, to where there's like cycles to where he needs to go into the Odin sleep. So he was due and he took advantage of that situation, I think. And he's just like malicious. I mean, you know, he wanted to kill for this movie. 
like completely kill him. Um, he that's the only Thor movie that you see where Loki wants to kill Thor completely. Like just wants him dead. Um, and as far as the the film goes, I don't know that I agree with the critics that say that the plot's terrible or whatever, or you know it doesn't flow well. Or I think that you've got to be realistic about when this movie came out, and you know where where it was at in the MCU you know timeline. And um, I think that overall the casting of this film was ridiculous. The the cast they put together for this movie was just insane. I mean, literally. I mean, you compare this to any of the other MCU films that came out in phase one. I don't think there's another film in phase one that has a cast other than the Avengers as talented as this cast. I mean, you've got multiple, multiple Oscar winning, you know, actors and actresses out here um, playing like bit parts. You know, I mean, um, I forget her name, the actress that plays Freya. Um, Renee Russo. Renee Russo. Renee Russo is awesome. I mean, she's great. Like, she's excellent as Freya, but she's been great forever. Like, she's not a new commodity, you know? Like, they just managed to get all these great actors and actresses to play the, these characters in this movie. Um, I don't know what, I don't know if it had to do with Kenneth Branagh being the director, maybe, you know, like maybe that was an influence where, um, because I mean, look at these, all these European UK, you know, type, uh, actors that ended up, you know, coming in this film, the fact they got Anthony Hopkins to play this role in the MCU, that really added like a major level of legitimacy to this film. The fact that just having Anthony Hopkins up as a part of anything adds legitimacy to it. So I just think that, again, this cast, you got Idris Elba in a bit part. You know, he only has like five lines in the entire film. Um, look at him now. You know, like it's it's crazy because um I just really enjoy the lore of the film industry aspect of the MCU and of Marvel and these actors and actresses and trying to look backwards and imagine and think, you know, what were they thinking signing on to do this stuff, signing on to multi-picture deals and stuff like that. Because you know that they locked up Anthony Hopkins, you know, and all those and all these actors and whatnot right, right off the bat to like multiple film contracts, just like they did with everybody else. They weren't one-offs. Um, so I feel like um, overall, like Vincent mentioned, I feel like there's definitely a real Shakespearean, organic, uh, moral play in this film with sacrifice that's really important and valuable and really connects very well to the Stan Lee message of Marvel Comics. If you know Stan Lee's ethos as far as like what he wanted Marvel Comics to be to people at the kids and everything, it lines up with the morality of this film very well. Um, sacrifice, brotherhood, sisterhood. Yep. Um, you know, like those are the, are the are the core elements of the Stan Lee ethos. So yep. I feel like it's great. It, it, it's, you know, hey, any freaking movie that Stan Lee got a chance to cameo in is awesome to me. Yep. Like there's just something special about the fact that they managed to have Stan Lee cameo in this film and um overall 
I feel like this film holds up to the point where you guys might think maybe might think something differently, but I feel like if you're a, a brand new MCU fan, if you're Kloss or Deja Cyber, and you go and watch this movie, Thor, you're going to like it, whether you are, are like an old school MCU fan or a comic book fan or whatever. Yep, yep. So uh, to, to finish that off, one out of ten, what do you give Thor? Oh, man, that's hard. Because um, I want to be fair. <sighs> Honestly, taking into consideration the entire spectrum of the directing, the, the cinematography, the plot, the story, the characters, how well the, the actors and actresses played them, uh, the energy of the movie, I'd give it a 6.5 out of 10. Okay. Awesome. So uh, <clears throat> how about you, Vincent, uh, your overall impression, and out of 1 out of 10, what would you give Thor as well? So you got to hand it to Kenneth Branagh for bringing these characters to life. He has really built an amazing world in this first movie. Um, Asgard, we still use that design of Asgard, even upwards as far as Loki, when you get to see old Loki rebuild it in an illusion. Like they use that exact Asgard. So that's something that Kenneth Branagh brought to the table. The costume design is all because of him. Um, just Thor in general's like whole demeanor, his accent, his walk, his talk, all of that stuff is from Kenneth Branagh. Um, also, he really knows how to bring out a performance in people. Some of the performances in this movie are so good. When Loki lashes out at uh, Odin, he's like, tell me! That is such a deep, powerful, guttural response. Um, there's a point where Loki goes to, to Odin and is like, father, and Odin points at him and goes, ah! That wasn't scripted. That wasn't directed. That was just them being in that scene and Sir Anthony Hopkins being so deeply into his character that he just felt the need to growl at his son for even bothering to interrupt him. I love that type of stuff. Um, so that those types of things I love about this movie. And while my wife and I are downstairs watching this, she happened to go, you know, I had forgotten how good this movie actually is. And I agreed with her. Now, does that make it a perfect movie? No, not even close. Um, does it even make it like a really good Marvel movie? Yeah, kind of, actually. I think it does. I think it's it's middle of the ground, at least. Um, you know, we have a lot more movies that are way worse than this. But that doesn't make them bad either. Um, if I was to give this out of 10, I'd probably give it a solid eight because my worst, which is Thor, the dark world, I probably have that at about a 6.5 because I don't hate it in any sense of the word. It's just not where Marvel quality should be. Thor, I think is where Marvel quality should be. It's a good quality movie and very few things that I actually don't like about it. Um, one thing in particular that bothers me a lot is all of the weird, like, tilted angle shots that you have. I don't know why Kenneth Branagh did, like, every other shot that way, 
but he did. Maybe he was trying to be J.J. Abrams with his lens flare stuff. You know, this is going to be my specific way of directing. I'm going to have these weird angled shots and everybody's going to know that it's a my movie because I have these weird angled shots. And I, I don't know. <laughs> it, it was very reminiscent to me of like the old Batman show because they did a lot of those types of angles in that show. And I think he was kind of, uh, from what I understand, he in an interview, he mentioned that he was trying to give homage to that, like the superhero genres of the 60s. So mm-hmm. that's why he did those kind of angles. Well, um, hey, but to Cyber, if you don't mind me saying, Vincent, you can say what you want about Thor Dark World. And of course, we all think it's not a great movie, but they did a better job visually with Asgard in that movie than they did in this movie. Oh, absolutely. But that's that comes from uh, several extra years of um, technology updates and probably a higher budget as well, I would guess. Very true. So that is the end of our Thor review, folks. I, we want to thank you for watching. So we're going to round out this awesome show with a final segment where Mr. Jeff here, Mr. True Knowledge, is going to take it away and give us a little MCU news. So take it away, Jeff. Well, I just want to point out that thank you very much, Cyber, for remembering the whole true knowledge tag because I've been playing around with that recently. And just to be clear, the way that that came about was not because I'm like just so into myself that I decided to come up with a perfect uh, screen name for myself or whatever. I, um, I'm i a member of Sakar.freeforms.net, just like Cyber. Oh, stop, Cyber. And I had to pick a screen name on there just like all the other like uh, podcast of champion guys or whatever have like a, a weird screen name or whatever that they use. So I picked true knowledge and that's where it came up. It came from and it stuck. So, but thank you, cyber. I appreciate that. Um, so basically as far as the news goes, I didn't get to, to put this in our last news segment that cyber and I did, but I wanted to discuss this with Vincent and with cyber. The fact that, Obviously, we know that the Hawkeye series is coming out soon. A couple of weeks, it'll be it'll be out. Echo, the the deaf, um, super you know super heroine, um, kind of secondary character that's going to be a part of the Hawkeye series, um, who is the first deaf character in the MCU and is being played by a a deaf actress, um, which I think is really cool. Um, Echo's going to have her own Disney Plus series as a spinoff from Hawkeye already. We know that for a fact. And her power is that she is exactly the same as um, uh, from uh, Black Widow, um, Taskmaster. She has the same power as Taskmaster. The ability to automatically photocopy and then use any type of combat skills or moves or fighting skills or whatever that anybody else that she sees on film or whatever or in front of her, she can com- copy it and mimic it herself. That's her skill. So, you know, I think it's interesting. I'm sure, I think we all saw Black Widow by now, right? Um, and I know Cyber, you know, even you were a little bit like not so happy that the whole Taskmaster situation ended up the way it did. Do you think it's kind of cool that we're going to get a character that has the same exact abilities as Taskmaster? Uh, I mean, I, I, I haven't heard much about that. I mean, I briefly heard about that supposed spinoff show from the Hawkeye character. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that and if it lives up to Taskmaster himself uh, in the comic books. Uh, like, yeah, like you said, I what we I wasn't too sh- you know happy with how they did Taskmaster and you know uh, in Black Widow. I mean, I get where they took it, why they did it that way. I get that, you know, having to be his daughter and stuff like that. You know, I get that. But in the comics, to stay true to the character, he was a man and he had those abilities. He had that ability to basically mimic any other character, you know, that he saw. And so when the, you know, they showed that it was a woman, I was like, okay, that's okay. I get that. Um, But I just didn't think that she was as solid and fluid as, you know, the real Taskmaster was in like the comics and what I've seen of him before. And I thought that it, that was, you know, bad casting at, in that point, because I think Olga uh, Karolinko, however you say her last name, she's a fine actress. Like she does good in drama. She does good in, you know, stuff like that, uh, action and stuff like that. But she, I just didn't feel like she really possessed Taskmaster, like the character itself. I didn't feel like it was, I was watching Taskmaster. I felt like I was watching a female iteration of Taskmaster. So it'll be interesting to see what this series brings of this deaf character and that she has the same ability. It'd be interesting to see like an actual character that's not named Taskmaster do this type of deal. So uh, it should be interesting. Hopefully, you know, I enjoy the character in the Hawkeye series, and I want to watch the series that she's a part of. Well, they knew when they made Black Widow that they were going to have Echo coming out, and that she, they, she was going to be a part of the MCU and everything. So they basically knew back then that that Taskmaster character was never going to be back in the MCU again, because they're not going to have two characters in the MCU that do the same exact thing. That wouldn't work. What do you think, Vincent? Well, I don't think that they're going to kill off Taskmaster entirely because they didn't bring in the actual person who is Taskmaster, Tony Masters. They haven't cast him yet. They haven't introduced him. They haven't even said his real name, as far as I know. Um, instead, it was Drakov's daughter who was the Taskmaster. And I, I don't think, did they kill her in Black No, no she survived. She was badly, yeah. badly injured, but she survived. So it's very possible they could bring back Taskmaster. I don't think that they, they're done with him entirely. Um, as far as Echo goes, isn't Echo also the daughter of Kingpin? Yes, Echo is the, I believe, the uh, stepdaughter or like the, uh, you know, foster or something like that daughter of Kingpin. And she's actually a big uh, character in the Daredevil universe. And I would not be surprised if when Charlie Cox comes back, comes to the MCU, and we get that Daredevil Disney Plus show, I would not be surprised if you see Echo uh, guesting on the Daredevil show too because she's one of Matt Murdock's uh, lovers, kind of like Elektra, same kind of deal. Okay. And there's rumors, or maybe it's been confirmed by now, that Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin is going to be in the Hawkeye series. Yep. So I'm I'm guessing that Marvel is going to, if they've already planned on doing this whole Echo series, then they are putting a lot behind this character, especially considering Hawkeye, the TV series, hasn't come out yet. And we haven't really had audience you know, reaction or interaction with this character yet, but they're already planning a full series. I mean, they're also planning a full series for uh, Agatha Harkness from uh, WandaVision. And we actually did get to see her and get to interact with her and whatnot. And so that's really great that we actually get to have that show with her. 
Um, but I'm I'm curious as to what's going to happen with Echo, why they're doubling down on her before the audience has even had a chance to get to know her. Do you think that it could potentially be a ploy, Vincent, where it's like a kind of a woke thing, like just because she's deaf and she's like disabled sort of in a way that maybe they want to play off that? Maybe. Um, I'm not sure, honestly, but they also are finally bringing in uh, Hawkeye's heart of hearingness into the MCU. There's several shots out there where he's wearing hearing aids, um, which I'm guessing they're going to make it because of the time during um, Endgame when he's running down the hallway and the Chitauri are chasing him and he explodes stuff. You know, probably explosions just constantly are what caused his deafness or, or hard of hearingness. I'm not sure exactly. I think that it's going to be really interesting to see this actress. I, I forget her name. I, they already have cast, obviously, the Echo character and everything and whatnot. But I, I'm going to be really interested to see how well she does Hawkeye because if they felt that confident in her to go ahead and give her a series on Disney+, Plus, when they're not even willing to, like, confirm second seasons for, like, most of the shows and everything, you know, that says a lot. I think, I think Vincent, I think that's kind of in a way on your own way, on your own wavelength, where you were going with this, as far as like, this is kind of strange for the MCU and for Marvel. Yeah. It makes you wonder like, what is, you know, maybe this actress is great in this role, in this role, you know, who knows, but I agree with you. I wouldn't write off the, the Taskmaster character at all because they could always bring in Tony Masters um and just have his his own um taskmaster character and just write off uh you know uh drake off daughter because i would think that 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 taskmaster would be a perfect candidate for the um the thunderbolts when they decide to finally put together the thunderbolts with the dark avengers absolutely trying to do you know like there's no question about it it's going to happen um what's her name uh uh julia Louis Dreyfus's character um, from Thunder Val. 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 Together, the Thunderbolts right now. That's what. Call me Val. You know, so I mean, um, it's going to happen. We're going to get multiple, multiple teams in the MCU of different characters. As far as I can count, we currently have four. Yeah, we're going to have Young Avengers at some point here soon. It's going to happen. They're going to start. Kate Bishop is one of the first pieces of the Young Avengers coming out in the Hawkeye series. Yep. Um, she'll definitely be on that team. And that might even be something where they might even potentially want to start that off with an animated series mm. and go with an, with an animated series with the Young Avengers to introduce them, kind of, give them an origin story. Then you roll out the Young Avengers as a Disney Plus series or as a film. But I, you know, whatever, I, I'm segueing. So basically from comicbook.com, We've got John Oliver blasts Marvel Cinematic Universe on last week tonight. So let's see what John Oliver... John Oliver decided to take a quick shot at the Marvel Cinematic Universe on this week's episode of Last Week's Tonight. During a half hour about misinformation and its role on the internet, he had to get a quick dig on the wildly popular franchise. One of the viral videos they aggregated for the episode showed off how easy it was to pass off false information about medical cures on TikTok or WhatsApp app or WhatsApp. Once the tutorial was complete, Oliver noted that this was basically the script that all the biggest misinformation accounts used. It's a matter of styles and labels. 
which he quickly likened to the Marvel Studios movies. He sniped, all it takes is a few superficial labels and style choices to convince people that something with no real substance is actually meaningful and good. Or as it's known in America, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, well, I'm not going to go too far with this. I think John Oliver is a goddamn douchebag to begin with, to tell you the truth. I think he has no talent. He's a hack. And, um, you know, honestly, um, I can't even believe they pay him for what he does, to tell you the truth. But it is what it is. That's just my personal take. But, um, I, you know, I kind of, at this point, just laugh at these people who criticize Marvel Studios like this and, the, and these films. You know, because, I mean, they're criticizing Thor, really, like at this point, you know, at that when you're when you're saying that stuff. So I just want to go around you guys. You know, I mean, you guys have all heard the comments from all the different, you know, from Martin Scorsese, from every all the different people in the industry. I think that um, uh, Denny Villeneuve, Dune, actually just like took a shot at, at the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel Studios, too. Um, you know, Vincent. What do you think when the when these people in the film industry pop off about Marvel Studios? Well, I mean, they're entitled to their opinion. Doesn't mean they're right. Doesn't mean they're wrong. Just means that it's an opinion. You know, they don't want to like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Fine, don't be a part of it. Nobody cares. Like, I don't put any, um, I, I don't put any like recognition. I don't give a crap what celebrity says about what other celebrity thing to do about this, that, or the other thing. Like, that's your opinion. I don't care about your opinion. The only opinion of persons, the only person's opinion that I care about is my own. And to a lesser extent, my wife's anybody else's it's your opinion. Well, Vincent, what about, what about when they talk down to the fandom and they try to make it sound like we're stupid? More than likely what's going to happen is less and less people are going to agree with them and watch their stuff. I mean, when's the last time you watched something made by Martin Scorsese? I haven't watched anything in years. You know, um, you, all you're going to do if you talk down to people is you're just going to piss them off. You know, if you want to have an opinion about something, then express your opinion, then move on with your life. But don't make people feel like shit for having that opinion. And and don't talk down to people. Like you said, people are smart. Everybody has a right to say whatever they want and do whatever they want because this is America or, you know, other free countries of the world. But if you're just going to be an ass about stuff, then why the hell would people care? Yep. Cyber. I basically put it down to is, you know, these these directors are getting less and less people to view their product. So they're getting jealous over how popular MCU has become and that they're taking their fandom away from them because people are more interested in watching these superhero films than their films. And that's honestly, I think, why a lot of these directors get on that is because they're losing fans to something that's making more money than them. I think it's all about jealousy to me, uh, because whenever you read or hear them say these certain things, you can just hear that tone in their voice of a jealous person, and you can just you can see that that's what's going on here. Uh, because especially like when Martin Scorsese first came out with that, you know, talking about that kind of stuff, uh, it I could just tell that he, it was because his stuff wasn't getting any more recognition anymore. Like because the Irishman. You know, he came out with it in 2019, and even though, you know, that was considered a huge Oscar contender and stuff like that, it didn't get as much recognition as, say, the Marvel films that year. You know, Captain Marvel and uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, those brought in more revenue and brought in more 
views than his stuff did. So I think it all it all comes down to jealousy, and you know they're losing fans, so they're pissed that they're not making what they used to. Well, what surprises me is that I always thought the whole deal with the film industry was that they were united and that they supported each other and everything and whatnot, like, you know, to some extent. So it just kind of surprises me, you know, I mean, that um, I don't think it's I just I just wish that um, I can't I don't understand, I guess, at times when it comes to actually talking down to the fans and like acting as if those of us that are part of the fandom and love these movies so much and everything and, and react the way we do to trailers and like get so energized by these films and everything, you know, and that we're so captivated by Endgame and infinity war and everything. And they're so, they're so pivotal to us. You know, I think it kind of just is insulting that they take, that they try to take that away from us and, you know, like try to make it sound like, uh, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're idiots or whatever. When in reality, um, I think that this content, these movies, these films are more valuable and impactful and powerful than maybe they give credit, but moving on. So I don't know if both of you, I know maybe cyber, you might've already heard about this and you know what, Vincent, you may have about heard about this already too. Uh, but essentially they went ahead and casted the Adam Warlock role in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah. And I believe that it's, is it William Poulter? Yep. Yes, it's William Poulter, who looks very young to me. I'll be honest with you, very young. Um, he looks like he's a teenager, to tell you the truth. But maybe that's just the picture I'm looking at. Is he older than that, Vincent? Yeah, yeah, he's been acting in Hollywood for a little while now. Um, and the first thing I ever really remember seeing him in was We're the Millers with Jennifer Anderson. Um, he might have been like late teens in that, which that was like seven, eight years ago, somewhere in there. So he's probably in his mid-20s now. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that would be roughly how, about how old he is. I'd have to look it up. But He's in uh, Shameless, too. Yeah, he's in Shameless. Oh, okay. Um, the Black Mirror episode, Vandersnatch, I think is what it's called. Um, he's in that, and he's really good in that. Like, he's a great actor. I, I enjoy watching him. So I think he, he's probably going to do this role justice, especially if he can get jacked enough for it, because Adam Warlock's a hell of a character. Um, well, he's basically Space Jesus. Com James Gunn completely f confirmed this totally. So this is legit, or else James Gunn, you know, wouldn't have said a word about it on Twitter or yeah. whatever, but he did. He said, this is what's going on. And mm. what do you guys think? I mean, is this, is this even like on your radar? Does it matter to, to you that like we finally are going to get Adam Warlock? Oh, absolutely. For me, yeah. Um, Adam Warlock is one of my all-time favorite characters. I think he's awesome. Um, I, honest to God, the only person I could ever picture in the role for some reason was Zac Efron. I thought for sure they'd go with him um, because he's kind of they got that soft, um, but yet in charge voice. He's already pretty jacked and ripped looking. Um, he's got the perfect face, which, you know, Adam Warlock is basically a perfect being. So that's why I thought, you know, uh, Zac Efron. But I, I think Will Poulter is going to do a great job. Yeah, when I found out that when they found out that they casted him, I was kind of like cracking up. I'm like, well, 
he don't really look the part, but he is a good actor. So if he like like Vincent was saying, if he gets jacked enough, he could do some decent justice because he is definitely a good actor. He's got great comedic chops and uh, his serious side is pretty decent, too, because uh, from some of his stuff in Shameless, he did some serious stuff in that. So I thought it was pretty uh, decent. So, I mean, if he gets, you know, if he gets buff enough and he really gives us, you know, a that tour de force that he has, we might get a really decent Adam Warlock. Uh, just like, you know, Vincent was saying, you know, you know, basically Adam Warlock really is like Jesus. He's supposed to be a perfect creature, like perfect person. So when I saw his face and I was like, he's not really a pretty boy because I feel Adam Warlock is supposed to be a pretty boy um, mm-hmm. from what I've seen in the comics, from what I've read about the character and so forth. So I was thinking like, you know, like Zac Efron like type of look, like Vincent was saying. Well, so I was really surprised. There's going to be a lot of makeup involved in, in that in that role. So I was surprised they picked, you know, him. So it'll be interesting to see if they what they do to him to make him look like Adam Warlock. Yeah. Well, I think what it boils down to when it comes to getting these these actors and actresses jacked, I think it boils down to the actor themselves and the actress themselves whether or not they're willing to do what's necessary because they they give they give them the tools, they give them the the trainers, they give them you know whatever they need to do it. I think it boils down to, you know. I'm sure you guys heard the rumors about um, with the Batman film over the DC territory that um, there were concerns with um, I forget his name right now. That's Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson not wanting to go to the gym or not wanting to work out or whatever, potentially or something like that um, during the filming or during the shooting or whatever. But I think that um, I definitely agree with both of you guys. Adam Warlock is a big dude, you know, mm-hmm. like he's jacked. And so if this guy doesn't put on like 30 or 40 pounds of muscle, you know, like, like do some Chris Hemsworth type work, then it's not going to work because it's going to be like, uh, the freaking Fox, apoc- uh, uh, you know, apocalypse from X, the X-Men movie where he looked like a crackhead. You know? <laughs> I mean, seriously, he looked like he was like going to die. Oh like, man. Yeah, that was a horrible-looking apocalypse. I 100% agree. Yeah, I mean, they completely they destroyed the they like killed the character with that like presentation. Yeah. But moving on again, we've got John Krasinski and Emily Blunt suit up in stunning Fantastic Four footage. John Krasinski and Emily Blunt unite as Reed Richards and Sue Storm in this amazing Fantastic Four video. The MCU is finally on the verge of bringing the Fantastic Four back to the big screen. Known to fans as Marvel's first family, the force have been so incredibly elusive for Marvel Studios. With the three previously released movies having come from Fox. Yada, yada, yada. When it comes to bringing the Fantastic Four to life in the MCU, two names often associated with two of the primary characters are John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, with fans often naming them as the favorites. To play Reed Richards and Thor, and so basically, if I understand this correctly, this is just like a fan video. Um, and this amazing fan video gives us an idea of what that could look like. It's just a fan video. Did she, Cyber? If I'm not correct, didn't she already say she doesn't want to play Sue Storm? 
Correct. She feels like she she's not right for the MCU, and she doesn't want to be a superhero. So, you know, I, from my understanding, she's not playing Sue Storm. Uh, and I don't know, I don't know what that means for John Krasinski. I mean, he still could be in play. I don't know, but I haven't heard anything else about him being Mr. Fantastic within the last few months or any other rumors going around. Uh, the, the Fantastic Four kind of, um, info was, has kind of like died out for the moment. So who knows what, uh, you know, all of a sudden it might just pop up and all of a sudden be like, oh yeah, we're going to have these people as the Fantastic Four. Well, Vincent, uh, from Deseret News, Eternals will redefine the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Kevin Feige says. Will the Eternals reshape what we know about the MCU? Um, I'm not going to go through the whole article. I think just the statement by Kevin Feige that the Eternals will redefine the MCU is pretty powerful and worth an opinion on. Um, Vincent, do you think that the Eternals film is going to going to be able to authentically reshape the MCU? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think this movie is specifically designed to reshape the MCU. I don't think it's there to introduce these characters as longtime stand-ins of the, the series. I don't think that Selma Hayek and Angelina Jolie are going to be coming back anytime soon. I think this is kind of a one-time thing for them and a lot of the Eternals characters. However, I do think that uh, Kit Harrington's uh, Black Knight is going to be coming back. And then I also think that they're going to explain the potential for X-Men because at one point in the trailer, they talk about how the snap uh, had enough energy to awaken yeah. the, the deviance. And I think that is also going to tie in with WandaVision and how the Mind Stone unlocked her Scarlet Witch powers. It's, it's not the deviance, Vincent. What they're talking about is the Celestial Egg. That's what oh. that, that energy is about. It's about uh, that cosmic energy that they talked about in the WandaVision series with Darcy, mm -hmm. where, where they were talking about this is the energy from like the Big Bang or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, that energy from the snaps was enough to um, incubate the, uh, the, the celestial egg on Earth that's always been on Earth to mm -hmm. where it reached a level of like actually becoming a celestial like being born oh okay well, that's what they're talking about in the trailer when um icarus says to um sama hayek how long do we have and she mm -hmm. says five days she's saying we have five days until the actual birth of like a celestial oh okay which I, could i thought it was the deviance that they had awakened i guess i was wrong no the deviants um, are always there but regardless of that, I think that same energy that was caused by the snaps is what's going to awaken the X gene in people. Yes. I feel like the X gene was always there, but they hadn't awakened the mutation yet. And it will happen because of the radiation from the snaps. It could be any one of them. It could be multiple of them. But um, seeing uh, Monica Rambeau walk through the radiation in WandaVision turn her into Photon or Spectrum, depending on which one they're going to want to go with. Uh, I think that 
plus the fact that the Mind Stone unlocked Wanda's powers is enough of um, facts and evidence that's going to show that the X-Men are going to be caused by this radiation as well. I agree with you, Vincent, but here's the thing. This is where, where things get tricky. How do you then still explain Logan, Wolverine, and Professor X? Having still having been mutants for decades, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, how do you explain Wolverine fighting in like all those wars, like the Civil War, the world, you know, World War One, World War Two, and everything, and being a mutant then? Well, the good thing about being the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that they're not specifically following that kind of stuff in the comics. Um, so the mutants per se haven't really existed up until now, they didn't even really say mutation up until. Shang-Chi, I think. Yes, uh, first Vincent, if, you don't, if you don't establish Logan Wolverine's character in the MCU as the same one from Project Weapon X, mm. as like Deadpool, you know what I mean? And Captain America, like the warped version of the, of the super soldier serum that then evolves into Weapon X, you know what I mean? And like yeah. gives Wolverine his Edmontanium skeleton and his, and his Edmontanium claws and everything. If you don't follow that trajectory with his backstory, that takes away quite a bit of the uh, the whole lore of the character. Yeah, you know? so could you? Uh, I, mean, I definitely agree with you there, and, and it, it kind of feels like Marvel has themselves between a rock and a hard place because they haven't owned all of the IPs um, due to selling them off to Fox and Sony. And but if anybody can figure else. it out, though, right? It's Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios, right? They'll yeah. make it work. Theoretically, so they'll make it work. I mean, that's well, the thing, a, right? That, yeah. I don't know. Like they, they're. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm only so good at theorizing, but I have a feeling that it's probably going to be something like you said. They're going to use this Eternals film and this event to influence the X gene, but at the yeah. same time, they're going to come up with their own wrinkles to explain everything else, and it's all going to work. Yeah, it's going to work. We're going to be happy with it. It's going to be fine. As long as they don't do the freaking multiverse with the X Men, because I just I just don't want that to happen. It's not organic, you know what I mean? Like it's not. Yeah. It would it would make no sense, especially from a comic book standpoint. Right. But anyways, look, Vincent. Since we lost Cyber, he just disappeared on us, um, which is okay. It happens. Uh, we can handle it. We're big boys. Yeah. Why don't we go ahead and wrap things up? Because the thing is, is if I can keep the show under two hours, it makes it easier for me to be able to um, rip clips of the audio from the podcast on Headliner, you know, and yeah. be able to like use them for promotion. If you go over two hours, Headliner won't let you do it. So, well, I can see the little timer in the corner says you have about four yeah. minutes left. So, well, go ahead and wrap, wrap man. Let me go ahead and go to you first. Um, do you want to shout out anybody or? Do you want to talk about anything having to do with when you went on your little trip earlier, uh, you know, with the uh, the Harry Potter deal and everything and whatnot? If there's anything uh, you want to talk about or plug, go ahead. What I'll do is I'll plug the shows that I am in in uh, Vancouver, Washington. If you happen to be living in the Portland, Vancouver, Gresham, Beaverton area, then uh, come on over to Vancouver and come see our Pacific Stage Works versions of Puffs. And every Christmas story ever told, I am starring in Puffs myself. And then I am also going to be directing every Christmas story ever told. And so if you happen to be around that area, look up PacificStageWorks.org and come see our shows. 
That's it, Vincent. That's all I'm going to do for now. I'm not really trying to do a whole this, lot on social media. This at the is moment. a humble guy here, folks. I got to be honest with you. This is a very humble guy right here. And I like this guy. He's a good friend of mine and a good friend of the MCU's Bleeding Edge. And he always well, brings professionality so. to the show. You know, like, I appreciate I, that. I, you know, I, I, we, we enjoyed having, um, you know, Token and Jay on earlier and whatnot. It didn't work out. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that um, at least we can rely on guests like Vincent to come in, bring their A game, you know, uh, have a level head and contribute effectively and professionally, which you do, Vincent. Um, Thank you. And, you know, that's why um, I had to just go ahead and close out um, yeah. our other guests earlier because we just have a certain level of uh, adulthood on this show that we kind of like to have. And if you're all like Wi-Fi is in and out and everything and whatnot, you're not going to be very effective on here. So yeah, it makes it difficult to be a part of the show. It does. But no, Vincent, thank you very much for coming back. I'm really glad we were able to have you on for Thor because just so you know, folks, all of you who end up watching this as a video, when this goes out on YouTube, Vincent and I, when we first started talking and first became friends, he told me he wanted to be on Thor. Yep. And I don't, I'm not trying to act like I'm a hero here or whatever, but I'll tell you one thing. I do care about people and I care about my guests personally. And I really make an effort to try to be friends with them. And Vincent knows I stayed in touch with him the whole time and let him yep. know I'd make sure that I got him on this review. So and I really appreciate how much you've done for us. It's really cool. Well, Vincent, you know what, man? I love having you on. Your spot here is always open. So, you know, I mean, you do a great job. And, uh, I mean, obviously your training and everything and whatnot is very evident. You know, I mean, you speak very well, you're very you. concise. Um, but listen for cybernetic shark, um, for Perry Ramsey, uh, who is like in and out on the MCU's bleeding edge roster these days, um, for me, Jeff, true knowledge, uh, in the house, I just want to say that we appreciate all of you who end up watching this video on YouTube. Uh, on Daily Motion, on any of the platforms, once this ends up stop being live and ends up being a regular video, all of you catch us on the podcast. We love you. We appreciate all of you. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. We need all the individual support we can get. It's hard to grow a new channel. We want to compete with the best, so we just need a little bit of help from you know from our fans. Um, we love all of you, and have a wonderful evening, afternoon, morning, whatever it is, wherever you're at. Bye. Peace out.